Building a business ain't easy. It takes hard work, dedication, and strength. This is Success Failed with Philip Long. Must know tips for executives going through the trials and tribulations of growing their own business. Now, here's your host, Philip Long. Welcome to another episode of Success Failed with Philip Long. I'm excited about a special guest I have, Mr. Rudy Messick, and he is with SonicWall. He is a certified information systems security professional, as well as he has worked in the government for the CIA, so he has some really great insight on the threats and how they're happening to uh, business owners here and even our market. Uh, for the thought of the month, I want to share with you guys a couple of insights that I am using to help on time management that I'm really bearing a lot of fruit from. And for our cyber attack of the week, I want to discuss a new company that I'm starting called Cyber Fortress and really the, uh, the problems that it solves, really the answers to the questions that I see in the cybersecurity landscape and how we are going to solve them here at BIS. So here we go, guys. Cyber attack analysis. Let's break it down. For the Breach of the Week, I want to talk about a solution to breaches. We're very excited here at BIS to uh, announce that we are going to start a new company called Cyber Fortress, and it is going to focus on cybersecurity events. This, to me, is one of the most exciting you know, moments that I've had in my career so far. And I want to just talk for a second about what this company is designed to do. And I'm going to relate it to what we call the technology triad. And on that triangle, basically on one side, you've got humans. You've got the people. On the other side, you've got the technology. And on the bottom, you've got the security. When I started this company you know, 20 years ago, really the security element wasn't even there. It was more about you know just the people and the technology. But of course today with all the risk that's out there with with uh, you know data breach, uh, ransomware and all that, we have a big uh, element of security that is uh, in play at the moment. But I think when you look at that triad, you have to understand that people, uh, you know, they're emotional creatures. Now more than ever, uh, it's harder to get good people. Uh, you know, the COVID thing really uh, knocked everything back. And um, But the, the people and the technology and the security are all so intertwined. And you have to have people with good attitudes and, and a good culture in order to uh, you know, really drive the business engine. Well, you've got to make great decisions on um, on the products that you use in order to do that. And then you've got to keep it all secure because if you have a security breach, it could really damage your reputation. So there's a real challenge there. And what I find is that most of the risk is in with the humans. The people are the ones clicking on things. And another thing that is very uh, blatant out there, if you really dig into what's going on, is that the breaches that are happening are because really basic security measures are just not in place. So what we're doing at Cyber Fortress is we're coming out with what we call a zero trust relationship, where our business information solutions company 
who does all the work all the time. And again, you guys, the then the humans, the people who we do the work for, you know, they love each other. And a lot of times that client is so you know, thankful to have the, the problem solved that they put too much trust in the person who solved it. You know, the guys that, you know, my employees at BIS. So what we're doing is forming a, a company called Cyber Fortress, as I said before, and it is going to be watching over from a security perspective of the work that is taking place uh, uh, by Business Information Solutions and we are going to be delivering reporting to our clients in a way that I don't want them trusting us. I want to trust but verify between all parties. What's going on in the marketplace is the, the business owner is trusting their IT people way too much. And the IT people are busy trying to keep everything working. They're not so focused on the security of it. And so what we're doing is offering a third component that is going to be the one that stands in the middle there and says, listen, business owner, we're going to prove ourselves to you through reporting and through what we call technical business reviews. And to the IT side of the house, we're going to say, listen, guys, we're going to be checking up on you on given intervals uh, to make sure that everything is in line with the way it should be. And I'm really excited about this because it can enhance our uh, ability to do things within this smaller team, what we call endpoint detection and response. So a lot to be said about this, and I'd like to invite you guys to come on out to a um, to an event. I talked about it at the end of my podcast with Rudy Messick. I'll say it again here. But join us for uh, on July the 29th at 11 o'clock at the original Oyster House to find out more about what this company is going to bring to the market because there's not another company in our market doing this, and I'm really excited about it because I think it's going to really solve some problems for uh, our businesses here, uh, not only on the coast, but we're also we're going to go uh, national with this. So it's going to we're going to grow from here and get really uh, you know be able to help a lot of business owners. So we're really excited about it. But come have lunch on us at Lunch and Learn, and to find out how, go to uh, askbis.com and then click on the events section. You can sign up right there, or you can always email me at plong at askbis, and I can show you how to get signed up. Hope you guys are having a great month out there. Interview an expert. Now, let me introduce you. Welcome to another episode of Success Failed with Philip Long. I've got Rudy Messick, and he is a CISSP, and he is with SonicWall currently. Uh, welcome to the program, Rudy. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, listen, I want to get just kind of bring this up to speed about your background. And of course, you know, even in layman's terms, you know, speak to me about what a CISSP is. Of course, I am one as well. But uh, for our audience, let's talk a little bit about that and kind of, you know, your credentialing and, you know, that certification. And we're going to, you know, have a conversation really focused around uh, just the cybersecurity landscape. Okay, so for my background, uh, I kind of, uh, I say that my career is entirely accidental. Uh, I started off just goofing off with computers when I was a kid, 
And uh, as uh, as I grew up and into adulthood, you know, computers touch on everything. And so I, I may have been doing a different job, but then the computer breaks and then I go and fix that. And uh, slowly that just moved me over into the data center. So I started at the help desk like a lot of folks do. Uh, and I worked there for a while. Um, I learned, you know, how networking devices worked. And so uh, I went from the help desk to working on networks. Uh, and then I, I started working in Active Directory and slowly, eventually, uh, I started working for the Department of Defense and I started working in their data centers. And at a certain point, I kind of had learned everything that I could. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, you know, as a, as a computer guy, I'd done a lot with Linux just goofing off. And so uh, they asked me to move over and be a part of their, their cybersecurity research section. And so I did that, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I learned a lot of things. I learned that you can know everything there is to know about systems administration and be lousy at uh, red teaming stuff. So I, I had to relearn things again, which was, you know, it was interesting for me, a lot of fun. It moved things along, but it did show me that, you can be a really good systems administrator and be a, a lousy cybersecurity guy. And uh, if you haven't done both jobs, you might not believe that, but I, I can tell you that it's true. Yeah, well, uh, that's great. Let's, let me ask you a little bit, define red team for the audience. Uh, you use that term. I want to make sure that the audience gets what that means. Okay. So, so what a red team does is a red team will sit down with you uh, with a contract and you will outline, uh, this is what I want you to test and check on my network. And then the red team will sign a contract. They'll, they'll test against those objects and then they'll write you up a report at the end. And so some folks advertise that as, well, I'm, I'm hiring a hacker and if he can't get into my network, uh, then you know we're safe. And so the red team uh, is not going to take your network down. The red team is concerned about your business processes. The red team is going to color within the lines. And so uh, I, 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 one of the things that's hard to get folks to understand is a red team coming in and saying that you're great, uh, they still have to obey the rules. There are still uh, limitations that they have. They're not trying to ruin your business. And so you have to remember that the red team can only do so much. Um, you still have to worry about, okay, you know, the bad guy doesn't have to worry about bringing my network down. The bad guy doesn't have to worry about getting to my network through someone else because a red team can't do that. You hire the red team and, you know, if, if, they're, if an attacker is going to come to you through someone else, you can't hire that red team to, you know, hack your partners. And so uh, it, it, it is a great uh, experience. It's eye-opening for a lot of folks, um, but it's, it's not the end-all and be-all. And if you pass a test by a red team, you can't sit back and say, well, we passed, we're good. We don't have to do anything else. Gotcha. Yep. And then on the CISSP, uh, so you had asked about that. And so I'll touch on that really quick. What ended up happening with cybersecurity, cybersecurity is like a lot of jobs. Um, there's a lot to it. And so uh, they recognized that, uh, you know, as far as being able to manage cybersecurity and say, okay, I'm the guy that's in charge of cybersecurity for this organization, uh, you had folks that may have 
come up through email security and been good with that, or folks that came up with, you know, through uh, physical security and been good with that. But the CISSP says, look, you don't have to be a great technician, um, but you do have to be someone that understands security and how it all fits together. And so what I tell folks is the CISSP is a management certification. It's not a technician certification. And one of the big benefits for that of folks is a lot of your technical certifications, they're not worried about your business processes. In other words, they say, all right, we can't have this turned on because it's dangerous to the network. Uh, but the CISSP can look at that and say, well, that's a business process that's important. And so instead of saying we can't turn it on, we need to figure out how to turn it on securely because we have to use it. And that's how it's differentiated from a lot of your other certifications. Yeah, I, I call it kind of like the, uh, the, the CEO of, of cybersecurity because he's going to look at every aspect of the business and has to know, you know, large quantities of information about all the areas of security but isn't necessarily going to be down and, and clicking the buttons and, and doing the check marks, but it's going to be able to, you know, have a good business acumen as well as, you know, looking at your physical, looking at your, you know, your cyber, your software you're using, really the, you know, a comprehensive, you know, look at, at uh, security. And that's why I got it is because, of, mm -hmm. you know, being able to help business owners from that area. So I want to jump in, let's, you know, a little about you. I want to jump in and just talk to you about, you know, you're seeing this, and of course, you know, you you see a lot through the lens because you work at SonicWall, which is a major vendor for, for uh, you know, cybersecurity, but we're seeing all of these events, and I almost feel like the small to mid-sized business that I'm working with, they feel like it's just, there's nothing they can really do. I think they almost feel like they keep seeing every few days a major breach happening, and uh, there's nothing they can do. And, you know, what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, so, there, so the worst thing that you can do is sit back and have a nihilistic attitude and say, you know, well, I can't do anything. It's, it's just all going to go bad. Um, so one of the things that I talk to folks about is that you just have to be a harder nut to crack. Uh, but some of it is you have to do your risk assessment and look at where you're at. Um, so, you know, uh, if, if I'm working in a public library, uh, folks probably aren't going to be coming after me for money or things like that. Um, but if I'm somebody that's looking to steal identities, a public library might be a great target because I want folks' names and addresses and, and things like that. And so as a public library, I don't need to, I don't need to protect everything in the network. Um, you know, I, I want to keep access out and I want to keep it generally clean, uh, but I do want to lock down that, that you know, access to that database. Uh, and so that's where I'm going to concentrate. So uh, we do a risk assessment, you know, uh, where, where the, the crown jewels, you know, or the keys to the kingdom located out within my network, let's concentrate the security there. And then as we're able to stretch security out to other places in the network, we can do that. Uh, but when, you know, but when folks say, well, we just can't do anything and you shouldn't do anything, um, you know, one of the first things you should do is talk to someone who uh, understands security. A lot of security is just people understanding how security works and what to do and what not to do. So it doesn't cost anything other than a few minutes to sit down and say, hey, this is what a phishing email looks like. And, you know, hey, if you think that you've been attacked, these are the people that you call and let them look at things. 
because, you know, a, a written plan and a written policy is something that nobody has. In, in the average business you walk into, you can walk up to any, you know, uh, uh, worker bee employee and you can say, you know, if you if you suspect that you have a cyber attack, what do you do? And they really don't know other than to say, well, I'll call the IT department. Um, but, you know, between the time that you suspect it and the time that you get the IT guy on the phone, you know, what actions should you take? And the average person doesn't know that. It hasn't been part of their training, and it should be. Sure, 100%. Yeah, we're seeing that. And then, you know, you touched on a few things. And one thing that I'm really focusing on letting people know is that a lot of those threats that we're seeing in the marketplace uh, are not, you know, like when we hear the really big breaches, you know, the big companies that get taken down. A lot of that is um, maybe a little bit differently in the, again, with the posture and the work and how they went about getting that big company versus the, you know, and, and every time, another thing I always say is every time we hear about a big breach, there's thousands of little small breaches that nobody talks about. Um, but really the, for a small to mid-sized company, you know, let's talk about some of the areas of things that they need to be doing to protect themselves. So, so small and mid-sized companies, they have some advantages and some disadvantages. The advantages are they're small. And so when we're talking about things like I'm an attacker and I send out a phishing campaign, if, it, if you're the kind of company that you have 100, or 100 employees or you're the kind of company that has 15 employees, that company with 100 employees, I've got a much better chance of somebody actually clicking on that and I get something back. If you've got 15 employees and they're well-trained and they, they're suspicious, then that's a, a plus in your favor just because you've got smaller numbers. Um, some of the disadvantages that you have is oftentimes the small businesses don't have time uh, or, excuse me, don't have the, the resources to have a full-time IT employee. And even if they do, that person is usually concerned with systems administration and not security. And so, uh, you know, they may not be looking at the logs at all, um, or they may be inexperienced in looking at the logs. And so they may be seeing things and saying, this is an attack. Uh, but what it turns out is it an attack. It absolutely is an attack. It's an attack that's being blocked on a regular basis, and you don't need to worry about that. That's why you're seeing it in the logs. Um, or you may have folks that see something in logs and they don't know what it is. And so, uh, you know, generally you want someone with more experience to look at that, but the smaller business, they can't afford to hire someone who does those types of things. Yeah. And so it's a, it, it's a balanced equation. Uh, again, some, so there's some, you know, there's some protection in being small. There's some disadvantages in being small. Um, you know, uh, uh, what I recommend to a lot of folks, if you, if you're a small business and you can't afford uh, a full-time security person, uh, you know, then you outsource that you bring it to somebody like you guys and you say, okay, we don't have the, we don't have the resources to have this full-time security person. What can you do to help us with this? Yeah. And what's crazy, you know, when I look at what's going on in the marketplace, I see that, um, you know, that, you know, Gartner, of course, is kind of the, you know, the leader in, in data collection and reporting for the, for the uh, technology industry. You know, they're saying that how uh, we're a half a million uh, security, cybersecurity professionals short in America right now. There is so much shortage and, 
you know, um, we've come up with something that we call, you know, and it's, it's big in our market. It's not big in the business market, but, you know, in the IT space, we're talking zero trust relationships. And I'm mm -hmm. relating that to the relationship between really the, the, uh, the client, you know, our client and uh, our technicians, you know, like the, the managed service provider company. And we've actually formed another company called uh, Cyber Fortress that is the cybersecurity uh, specialist. But really, no one needs to trust each other. But I see so often that uh, a business owner says, oh, yeah, I got an IT guy. He handles everything. And really, their, IS, their IT guy isn't skilled to handle everything. I'm, you know, I think that's a big reason why people are getting hit is they have a false sense of security. And I think they want to have that security because, you know, they don't, you know, it takes time and effort to secure things and who wants to do all that. It's not a sexy thing, you know? Yeah. So I've seen it quite often that you go into a small business place and, and uh, you know, when I meet the IT guy, uh, you know, where did you work before you're here? Well, I was at Best Buy. Uh, and, and all he knows how to do is, you know, uh, format the computer and reinstall Windows. And that's how he fixes everything. Um, he doesn't understand networking. He doesn't understand. He, he, he can't, you know, do a, what we call a subnet, which is just the way that a network is divided up. He doesn't have the, the technical acumen to do those types of things. But, you know, he's being paid uh you know a, a decent uh a decent salary um according to what the boss thinks and uh you know he's there's no one else technical there to challenge him and so yeah. what ends up happening in a lot of cases is when the boss comes in and says why is this like this like this you know they're technical enough to be able to make up a lot of excuses that sound um you know really convincing but it's just something to dazzle the boss and they use a lot of terms that the boss won't understand to make it sound like, well, I'm smarter than you and that's just the way it is. And so then, uh, you know, unfortunately the boss says, well, my IT guy said it can't be fixed. And so we'll go on with that. <clears throat> and yeah. so, and, uh, you know, another side of that, I think too, is that, you know, the IT guy shows up at, mi at midnight to, to make things and, you know, get it back going again, you know, or whatever. So, you know, so there, you know, there's an emotional attachment to this person that also maybe lets the guard down on the business owner. You know, they they have a relationship, you know, and that's where that yeah. you know, that term zero trust to me comes in is, look, you know, you got to trust, but you got to verify. And, um, you know, we're, well, so, we're putting so that controls guy, in place. That, that guy that comes in in the middle of the night to fix stuff. Uh, so when I talk to folks, I, I, you know, they think he's a, a hero and I say he's the villain. Uh, and I've seen that before. Uh, you have networks where people say, my IT guy doesn't do anything. Uh, and that's because the network never goes down. You never call him to fix a printer. You never call him to fix anything. And what folks don't understand is that guy is working really hard because he's looking at things and fixing things long before. And, uh, you know, the, the guy that comes in the middle of the night, uh, oftentimes it's that inexperienced guy that we talked about. And the reason he's coming in in the middle of the night is he should have caught this hours ago and, and didn't. And so, uh, um, you know, that to me, that's another sign is when your network is running smoothly, uh, you know, and you think your IT guy is not working, that's not the truth at all. The, the more stable your network is, the harder he's working. Yeah, 
That's right. That's exactly. Uh, and, you know, I think when I look at, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and back in the day, um, you know, we call it the technology triad is kind of what I'm, I'm referring to now is where we have, you know, the, the technology on one side of the triangle, we have the humans on the other, and then on the bottom, we have security. But mm -hmm. back when I started, really, it was more of the humans and the technology, the, the security aspect wasn't really that relevant 20 years ago. You know, it was more yeah. about let's make this thing work. Let's, you know, let's keep it where it's fast and the people are happy. And, you know, and now we have this whole other element that is extremely important. And it, uh, you know, each one of those components are very, uh, very intertwined where like if, like, say, working from home with COVID, we see this thing going on with the, uh, you know, people, if you don't give the humans the technology they need, they'll go out and find it themselves. They may go get out go and get a personal Dropbox and start moving yeah. corporate files into their personal Dropbox and, you know, basically spreading that, the data all term. over the place. So we have a term for that. It's called shadow IT. Sure. And that yeah. is, that is where, you know, within the company, the IT shop is not giving me what I want. So I come up with my own IT resources um, that the company is not aware of and doesn't know that I've introduced. Uh, and so that's called shadow IT. And, uh, and, and that's to the, to the point where, you know, I want a wireless connection in my room. I don't like this wiring connection that the company has me to. So what do I do? I go and buy a wireless router and I connect it to the wall. Uh, but, you know, I don't know anything about network infrastructure. So what did I do? Well, it has an IP address on it from the get-go that the manufacturer gave it, which may be the same as the IP address of your gateway. We've run into this before and uh, take the entire network down. And so, you know, not only is shadow IT bad for you, but shadow IT is your insider threat. Yes, 100%. And we're seeing that a lot too, as far as, uh, you know, if you don't give people the right tools and you don't uh, lock down the network in a way where these people can't hurt you, they mm -hmm. will hurt you. So yep. very much, that's, the, uh, that's exactly the kind of things that we're seeing. As it relates to cryptocurrency, Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts? You know, if if uh, there's some things and, you know, I don't think that the government's going to step in here. But, you know, when we start to see the like the champion pipeline get breached and I mean, literally that very much could have been even worse than it was, because all of a sudden we don't have fuel to large uh, sections of the country. That affects absolutely everything, and it causes panic and everything. And yeah, there was a minute I thought to myself, I was like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the government doesn't step in here and start regulating cryptocurrency because, you know, if they were to do that, in my way of thinking, and I want to hear your your take on it, uh, that would definitely. Uh, put a big stop or it would definitely they'd have to the bad guys would have to figure out another way in order to get paid and it would make it very 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 difficult what's your thoughts now i'm not an advocate for doing that in any way mm -hmm. i'm just thinking of you know i'm just thinking outside the box like how the heck can we stop these guys well so one of the things that people that people often uh so people will tell you, well, cryptocurrency is so famous because it's untraceable, you know, or so popular because it's untraceable. It's actually not untraceable. It's very traceable as far as, you know, where did it go? Yeah. And so it, it might not tell you who it went to, 
Um, but all of this has to run through banks and accounts and things like that. And so it does leave an audit trail of, you know, how did it get to where it is now? Um, so that's part of it. Uh, you don't know who owns it, but you can tell where it came from. And so if you say, you know, if you find cryptocurrency, you can tell, you know, okay. Uh, and you mentioned the Colonial Pipeline. If Colonial Pipeline paid it, you can tell that this at one time, you know, went through their accounts. And so that, that's one aspect of it is there is some amount of traceability to it. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, we already have governments that are stepping up and saying that they're going to recognize cryptocurrency and with government recognition is definitely going to come some government regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not a real big understander of cryptocurrency. I, I still don't trust it. I don't like it because at the end of the day, it's backed up by nothing but an idea. It's not backed up by gold. It's not backed up by silver. It's only valuable because people decided it was valuable and people can one day decide that it's not valuable anymore. Uh, the other thing is if you're in a very poor nation that has no digital assets, how do you even store that? Um, so they're not even, you know, your poor nations aren't even going to have access to cryptocurrency. And so it, it creates a lot of problems that governments are eventually going to have to step in and say, if we're going to do this and it's going to happen um, and we want to protect our citizens and make sure that folks aren't losing vast amounts of money, uh, they're going to have to come in and create some kind of laws around that. And so, you know, today's digital environment is very much, <clears throat> excuse me, going back to the robber barons, you know, the where we had the the iron steel and railroad barons yeah um so so today uh, you know and we had those monopolies so today is very much like the the robber barons have been reborn for the digital age and so uh just like we didn't have a lot of good laws to protect folks back then and the government had to step in and make that um the government's going to have to step in and see that right now uh, the average person and I won't say American because it's a worldwide problem the average person, is being abused by these very large corporations that control everything. Um, you know, they're buying up their competitors, so you can't compete against them. Uh, they hold all of your data, and if they're breached, there's not much you can do to, you know, because they've got more money than you. They've got bigger lawyers than you. They've got, you know, uh, lobbyists in Congress to protect them. And so we're, we're in this period again and uh, sooner or later, somebody, you know, the, the government's going to realize this and then the, the people are going to demand that, OK, we need some laws created around this. People need to be protected. Uh, and until we get to that point, uh, it'll be guys like you and I that have to deal with the situation as it is today, because, you know, we can't depend on what's going to happen in the future. I have to work with my customers that are vulnerable right now and protect my customers that are vulnerable today. That's right. Let's kind of transition and um, we'll spend just a couple more minutes here. And uh, but I want to talk about like, as you see it, what is a small to mid-sized company's largest risk? So the first thing that I talk to folks about is you have to do a risk assessment before you do anything else. And the reason for that is because a, a doctor's office is going to have a different risk assessment than your corner store. Um, so if, if we go on to the dark web, one of the most valuable things that you can sell is a medical record, believe it or not. Um, so it's been a while since I've checked in the statistics, but you know, as of three years ago, when I looked at it, the, the, the thing that you could sell that made you the most money on the dark web was medical records. 
And so if you can get into a doctor's office, if you can get some kind of software in there and just watch that for a while, if you, if you can stay a month and collect 500, you know, medical records, if you can stay six months and collect, you know, 7,000 medical records, you'll make a lot of money um, versus the corner store where uh, they might stay on your network for a while, but what they're looking for is they're looking for credit cards. And so, uh, you know, that particular criminal is not looking for the medical records. He's looking for a credit card, but he also knows someone else may be watching that cash register. And if he waits too long, you know, that other guy's already using the credit cards and I've collected all these credit cards and there's nothing, you know, they're not valuable anymore. So that credit card guy might, you know, not stay in there very long and he might hit you very quickly. And uh, where, we, where we determine what am I going to secure in the doctor's office is that connection to the electronic medical record, which is somewhere else in the world. Doctor's offices, for the most part these days, they don't keep those things on premise. It's a cloud service out there. Where in the small corner store, you may actually have a small database that's collecting things. And then according to uh, PCI compliance, you can't store that locally. And so I can only store it for the time that I'm using it. And so there's a much smaller window for an attacker to get something. So the first thing that you have to do is just make a risk assessment based off of what kind of business do we have? Uh, what do we have that the bad guys want? And then how is that vulnerable? How is that coming at us? And I, I suggest that most folks don't try to do that on their own. I suggest you start the process on your own, but then call someone in who has experience on securing things and talk to them because the average person knows what they have that's valuable, but they don't know how someone's going to come at them to get that. Uh, Office 365 is a wonderful product. It, in most cases, comes with OneDrive. OneDrive can be a Trojan horse. And people don't understand that until they call a security expert in to talk about this. And then you remind them, you have Office 365, an employee can go home on a non-corporate computer. They can do some work, upload it to OneDrive. And when they come into work, you pull it down from OneDrive and you may introduce something that way. So that's a way in. That's something that you have to look at. If you're a bank, uh, someone could just email you a package of 10 keyboards and then everybody asks, who are these keyboards? I don't know. They sit on the shelf for six months and then finally somebody says, I need a new keyboard. They pull that out, they plug it in. That keyboard calls home and now everything that you type into that keyboard is going to somewhat out on the internet because nobody said, we didn't order these keyboards, we shouldn't use them. And those are the kinds of things the average you know, office manager or the average system admin isn't going to think about that you need a, a cybersecurity expert to come in and talk to you about these things. Yep, that's right. There's so many ways into a network and uh, I couldn't agree more as far as really, you know, base, getting a baseline of, you know, I always ask people, where's your data? You know, where does it live? And now with, with the whole work from home thing, and they're saying that, you know, probably 30% of people are going to continue to work outside of the office, you know, some period, if not all the time, but at least sometime. Mm -hmm. I think it, the dynamic has definitely changed where, you know, people realize the world can run and not have to be in an office and people are going to, you know, exploit that uh, freedom, you know, where they can, you have a bit more flexibility in their schedule and to make things work. So, you know, we can sure see how that's going to 
you know, how that's going to move us and it's going to put us at risk because our data is going to be, you know, further outside the camp, if you will. So we got, you know, that to think about, but that risk assessment on where's your data, you know, because really, you know, data is the, I like what you said earlier, the crown jewels, that's what they're after. Yeah. And I do want real quick. So you, you mentioned work from home. And so this is something that just this week, if you watch the news, folks are reporting, and that is employees are saying, hey, we've got COVID under control, come back to the office, or excuse me, managers are saying, come back to the office. And employees are saying, you know what, if you're going to make me come back to the office, I quit. I'm going to go to work somewhere else where I can continue to work from home. And so uh, that, and, uh, that made the news most especially at Apple. Um, because Apple was one of the first places to say, you know what, it's time for everybody to come back to the office. And a very large percentage of the Apple employees said that, you know, either A, we're not coming back or B, we're coming back long enough till we find a, a work from home job again. And so now that folks have gotten a taste of that, they're going to demand more of it. So you're right. That's not going to go away. Uh, either if it's from the employee finding out it's cheaper to have folks at home. Or, or, excuse me, the, the employer finding out that it's cheaper to have their employees at home, uh, which is the case. You don't have to have a cafeteria. You don't have to have the bathrooms. You don't have to turn the electricity on. Or you have the employee themselves saying, you know, I like this work from home thing. This is all I'm ever going to do. The work from home is not going away. And folks are going to have to be able to do that uh, securely. And the zero trust model that you talked about is the only way to do that with remote workers. Yep, exactly. And, you know, I'll throw uh, Microsoft to plug in, you know, Microsoft to me has been behind the curve for many years on security, but they've really made such strides lately, especially with the Office 365 Azure platform and the, you know, endpoint device management and those uh, access controls, you know, in that one license, you can really go a long way with security, but the problem that I see is that there's no office manager or owner that's going to be able to go in there and set up all that and make it work effectively because it is, it's complex. I mean, it so, yes. does so many things, but it's none of the security is turned on by default and to turn it on, you know, I mean, I've had, you know, my whole team in training after training after training for months and months and months to learn this stuff. So, I mean, the average business owner, it doesn't have the time, resources, or even the, you know, the the compass, the security compass of, to know what's even possible. You know, they don't have the acumen in that area. You're absolutely right. And so most security products built for small businesses. And I'm not talking about your home security products. Your home security products for the individual user, the security usually it comes turned on by default. For a small business, it does not. And here's why. If I block something that you're using, so let's say I'm going to block incoming connections to web servers. I've just killed your business if you're hosting a web server. So as a manufacturer, I can't turn that on. I have to leave it to you to turn it on. Um, and it can be the same thing for lots of things. We can assume that the average person is going to use some kind of cloud service for their email, but that's not true of everybody. So if I block incoming connections to my mail server, again, I've hurt my customer. So for small businesses, the, the security device is always going to arrive with all of the security turned off. And the manufacturer is going to depend on a competent person on the other end being able to configure this. Now, so we kind of didn't go too much into my background, but I mentioned that I did some red team stuff, some vulnerability research. 
So the number one thing that I look to to get into a network, and we've already discussed this, is the human being, um, which, you know, training can help that. The second thing that I look for, because that's the easiest way in, if I can't get a human being to click on something, then I have to go for number two. The second thing that I look for is that you have security equipment and you've misconfigured it or you haven't turned your security on or you're only inspecting certain types of traffic. And there are historically there are types of traffic that are difficult to inspect, such as encrypted traffic. If I, as an attacker, know you're not inspecting your encrypted traffic, that's how I'm getting the attack in. I'm going to encrypt it and send it in. And because you're not inspecting encrypted traffic on your firewall, I'm going to get past that equipment. Okay. And so, uh, you know, configuration is a big deal and you're, you're absolutely right. If you don't have someone that's competent on that and hasn't had the training and understanding, then it doesn't matter that you've paid a lot of money for security software and security devices. If you can't configure it, then you're still vulnerable. Yeah. Well, listen, um, we're going to need to, to cut this off. I could go on for, for hours with you. Oh, I'm sure we have, all could. <laughs> yeah, you have so much information that is so valuable. I want to end by, of course, thanking you, but also inviting uh, everyone out. We are um, at Business Information Solutions. We're starting a new company that specializes in cybersecurity. It's going to be a managed security service provider, MSSP company called Cyber Fortress. And uh, for the listeners, if you guys will go to our website, askbis.com, click on the events page, we are going to be having a luncheon to kick this off over at the original Orsher House on um, on July the 29th at 11 a.m. You can sign up on our website or you can call or email me uh, and I'll be happy to get there. But all of these problems that we just posed and we kind of touched on the answers, we're going to do a deep dive on how we're going to solve those issues. And we're also going to work a lot on this, this zero trust relationship between this the MSSP Cyber Fortress, the MSP BIS, or your IT company or your on-site people or whatever you have, as well as with you, the client, so that there's a way that you can build a framework that will definitely keep uh, keep you a lot safer. So again, thank you, Rudy. I hope everybody can join us at that event. And uh, I appreciate you. And we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. It's time to go inside Philip's head. Thoughts of the month. For the thought of the month, I want to talk to you guys about something that I learned years back. I took a uh, Stephen Covey course in time management, and it is a simple exercise that I am pretty diligent about doing, and it is just one of the most, it really brings a lot of clarity to the situation, and I think that a lot of people will get some some uh, good insight out of this. So it's a way to break up your activities and your time into four different quadrants. And if you could picture a, um, you know, basically a, a box on the wall with four smaller boxes in it, we're going to start up at the top left hand corner, and that's going to be quadrant one. And then we're going to go around in a, in a uh, clockwise motion. And so there'll be quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, and quadrant four. And whenever you look at an activity, one of the, the things that really I like to do is to try to place that type of activity into uh, one of those quadrants. So let's go over what the quadrants are. 
Quadrant one is what I call the tyranny of the urgent. It's things that are often just you've got to do it. You know, a pipe busts at your house, or for me, a server goes down, or, you know, there's some type of security event that's taking place on someone's network that we have got to respond immediately. And if you look at this from an investment standpoint, usually a, a quadrant one type activity is a one-to-one -one investment. All of the uh, time and energy that you put into it pretty much will give you the time and energy back in return. It won't give you an enhanced um, margin, if you will, not a great return on investment. It's a break-even endeavor. Well, with Quadrant 1 activities, really there needs to be some uh, an autopsy or, or a review of what happened to see how you can go back in and put in measures so that that doesn't happen again, doing you know some preventative type maintenance. You're never going to get away from the tyranny of the urgent, but you, if you put your mind to it, you can kind of put those issues and put them into places or ways or even delegate them to other people through some training so that you don't have to deal with them. Now, quadrant two is where all the magic happens. Quadrant two is where you are going to invest in other people. You're going to do training. You're going to do things that fuel your engine. You're going to do, you know, studies like sharpening the saw. And with that, you have a huge return on investment. You know, you think about it, a lot of times we don't. We just do things because we're the only one that can do it because we don't want to take the time to train somebody. But knowing that if that's an event that happens often, you can actually, you know, spend a little time training and then you can reap the benefits of not having to do that activity again. That would be a great Q1 opportunity there. Other things that you can do are investing, you know, in relationships with people, things that are life enhancing that basically put your, you know, your heart and your mind into a better disposition. Because as human beings, we operate so much better whenever we're not in a emotional state of you know negativity or, or challenges are not around us. Another thing that you can do is to take things that you really enjoy. Uh, maybe you want to take a class, you want to learn something, maybe you want to do something, and to you never have the time to do it. Well, you have to make the time. You have to carve out. And, uh, you know, in this exercise, maybe you can cut out some of these other quadrant buckets of time and put back into this. Q3 is what we call a, I call it got a minute meetings. These are things where people, hey, got a minute? They're going to stop you and they're going to interrupt you. And, you know, they you allow people just to walk into your office and basically, you know, dump their problem on you or whatever. Or maybe you're just going to talk about an issue and you're not actually going to solve the issue. It's just, you know, again, it's really a waste. It's a time waste. And this, you, in this particular quadrant, you put in more uh, effort than you get in return because there's no actionable items. One thing I always tell myself is that mediocre plans executed well end in great results, and way more has been lost by inaction than action any day. So when people start to come into my office or they start to they just want to talk about something, and again, I want to be careful here and I want to be sensitive. 
to things because sometimes people need to talk to let off a little steam. But ultimately, if it's going to recur, you really need to spend some way to get that Q3 activity back into a Q2 activity. So uh, let's jump on over to Q4. Q4 is a total time waster. You know, for me, it would be, you know, TikTok videos or something. You know, it's just something that is just absolutely mindless and you just I have to stop and just get away from that stuff. A lot of guys in my industry, you know, they play these these games. And again, we need to have time to kind of decompress, but you got to be careful on the things that really are just mindless waste of time. And, you know, those are a Q4 activity, and there is absolutely zero return on investment in a Q4 activity. So what I challenge you to do is whenever you're looking at your life, whenever you're going in and planning your week or your day or whatever method you're using, put a little uh, a quadrant, Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 type quadrant beside it in your calendar and you can start to see how many minutes you're capturing into each of the quadrants. And over time, and not a lot of time, really, if you consistently do it, you'll find yourself focusing more on the Q2 things. And really, your life will get easier. And you'll be able to, again, in, be a better, happier person. And that's going to you know, enlighten the ones around you. And ultimately, you know, momentum builds momentum and things are going to be better. So I hope that's helpful for you guys. It's been very helpful for me. Go out and make it happen. You've been listening to Success Failed with Philip Long. Check out askbis.com, brought to you by BIS.